You don't think you're timing the market, but guess what? You are. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, episode number 177. Here we go. This is the Best in Wealth Podcast, a show for successful family stewards who want real answers about wealth and investing so we can feel secure about our family's future. At the Best in Wealth Podcast, we think differently about wealth and investing, and you should too. Well, hello everyone. My name is Scott Wellens and I'm your host of the Best in Wealth Podcast. Now, this is a show dedicated to helping real people, that is you, my friend, build real wealth so together we can take family stewardship to the next level. I am a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, an educator, a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro, and a wealth advisor. It is great to be with you today. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're a long-time listener, welcome to you as well. And if you would do me the greatest favor and go to that iTunes Purple Podcast app and leave Best in Wealth a review, that would be awesome. Today's episode is you don't think you're timing the market, but you are, and that is hazardous to your wealth. But before we get to the topic of the day, you know, I normally try and use this introduction to tie the show to whatever my little intro is, but I got nothing today. I think because normally I like to set aside all of Friday to research podcast topic and write a bunch of show notes and make sure I put out a good show, which I intend to do today. However, it takes me a while to tie the story together into the show. And I ended up having to do a lot of other work for Fortress Planning Group today. So I wasn't able to tie in, but I do want to let you know that I did it again. You know, if you're a longtime listener, well, I like my wife a lot. Okay, I love her a lot. But at the same time, I like people to know that I love her a lot too. And so I take the opportunity at times when she doesn't like me to spill out my love and I spill it out. And for example, I have been newly elected the chairman of the board of our school's foundation, the Hamilton education foundation and my wife is a principal at the intermediate school within the district so there's already a little i get to show up at some events where she is where her boss is the superintendent etc so i know that makes her a little uncomfortable because she thinks that i'm kind of a loose cannon well <laughs> probably because i am and this week all the teachers, the staff, the principals, the administrators all got together in the Fine Arts Center for their kickoff this week. And it started off with the superintendent giving a rah-rah speech. He's really, really good at that. And then it moved on to the school board president who gave a little speech. And then the superintendent introduced the newly minted chairman of the board, Scott Wellens, and wanted me to come up and say a few words. And my wife knew this was coming, so it's not like it was a surprise. But 
I managed to craft up a six or seven minute speech, you know, to spend a lot of time thanking all of the teachers and administrators and custodial staff for what they do, because we love and are so proud of our school district. And I gave a little story about how we used to live in Cincinnati and we went to go pick out a school district and ended up choosing the Hamilton School District. And we've had great, great experiences ever since. And I mentioned, and heck, my wife even works in the district now. And I wasn't sure where she was sitting. There were hundreds of people there. So I and there were bright lights on me. I kind of peered out and I was like, where are you? She's in the audience somewhere. And then I said it. Hey, baby. I said hi to her <laughs> and called her baby during my speech in front of all of her colleagues. And you know what? Just a roar of laughter because who would do something so dumb as what I did? However, I thought I was going to be in a lot of trouble with my wife. And it turns out, that she was not mad at me. Now, I'm not saying that you should do something like that if you're ever in the middle of giving a speech to a whole bunch of people, but you know what? You only have so many chances in life. Let's get to the topic of the day. All right, here we go. You think, you don't think you're timing the market, but guess what? You probably are. Why would I say that? Well, before I get into that, I want to introduce to you a study that I may have mentioned, oh, maybe years ago. You know, we're on episode 177 right now, and Dalbar is a company, and they do independent research on all of the mutual funds that exist in the world, actually, but I'm going to talk about the U.S. here for a little bit. And they look at inflows and outflows and how each mutual fund is done, how the S&P 500 and the other benchmarks have done. And they can tell then how the average investor does compared to the overall market. Because let's face it, you could be in a mutual fund that returns 20% for the year. But that doesn't mean you got that 20% or even better. When you're looking at your 401k and you see the five-year returned, it's averaged, you know, let's say 12% a year, and you're just hopping in it now, that doesn't mean that the next year is going to be like the last. And you might get in something mid-year and you might switch around. And so it looks at the Dalbar study, all the inflows, all the outflows, how did the average investor do in each asset class compared to its benchmark? Now, Dalbar is a it's the financial community's leading independent expert for doing this evaluation, doing this auditing, and rating business practices, customer performance, etc. It was launched in 1976 and has earned a lot of recognition. Now, it isn't without flaws. So there are some people that look at the Dalbar study and pick it apart and find where it isn't completely accurate. And you know what? They're probably right. It's probably not completely accurate. It's got to be difficult to measure trillions of dollars of inflows and outflows and investments in the sort. However, the theme, and they just came out with their six month, the first six months of 2021 study, and that six months, along with almost every other six month period or rolling one, three, five, 10, and 15 year average, all say the same thing. 
the average investor does worse than the benchmark. Why is that? That's what we need to figure out. Because as a family steward, I don't want to be on the losing end of whatever's going on. If I'm going to take the risk and be in a large cap fund or a large cap value or a small cap value fund, they all have different risk levels. And I want to get what I deserve from that asset class. If I'm going to take the risk, I want the reward. I don't want anything less. Well, part of the reason we get less is simply expenses. You will never achieve exactly the benchmark because if you're in a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund, you're going to find that there's an expense ratio. So that's a problem for you, the investor. But after that expense, I want to be able to do as well as the benchmark. That's our goal. No, that's not even our goal. My goal is to beat the benchmark, right? We want to beat the benchmark for our family. We want to reach financial independence as quickly as possible. And the easy thing to say, and it is true for some investors, in fact, a lot of investors, The fact that they don't do as well as the overall market is because people tend to try and time the market. The market seems to be dropping. I'm going to sell everything. I'm going to sit on the sidelines and I'm going to wait until things are better, till the news cycle is better before I get back into the market. And for a long time, I thought that was a huge reason why we have this great divide between what the market is doing and what the average investor is doing. And a lot of that, again, it's still true. However, I think it's more subtle than that. I think we need to dig deeper because most of the people that I talk to say, Scott, I don't time the market. I stuck through it in 2008. I stuck through it last year when the pandemic broke. I don't time the market. And I hear this over and over from younger people, people that are my age and people that are older than me. They're saying to me, they are not timing the market. But it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more subtle than getting all the way in and all the way out of the market. I think the real problem is that we don't really have an investment plan. We don't have an investment policy statement. We have a good idea in our head as a family steward. We think, all right, I'm going to invest in index funds. They're very low cost. I'm going to get in the total stock market index maybe the total bond market index, maybe I'll break it up a little bit, get in the S&P 500, small cap, international index, emerging index, maybe a REIT index. And I'll pick some percentages. If you're a Dave Ramsey fan, he's a big fan of finding the four major asset classes, growth and income, aggressive growth, and international, spreading each of those out 25% each. But most of us, we don't really have a plan. There's not a document that we go back into that we look at over and over and say, this is my plan. This investment policy statement is my plan. Instead, you're doing a lot of reading in Money Magazine and all kinds of other places, and you're picking your investments. And you're looking at it and you're kind of thinking, well, I'll put 15% here, I'll put 20% here, et cetera, 10%, 10% down the list. And you're making your selections maybe off of the one-year, the two-year, the five-year, or the 10-year averages or weighted averages of that particular fund, and you're making your investment. Or you're looking at certain asset classes, and you see that this one's doing well or this one's doing well, so you initially invest in those asset classes. 
And periodically you look at those investments and you look at the new one and two and five and 10 year returns and you see how things have changed and your 401k may have added a couple of funds and taken a couple out and so you make a couple of changes and then you move forward. And I'm telling you, if you want to be a successful investor, a successful family steward, if you want to give your family the greatest chance for success, you need to be more methodical than that. You need a plan. Why? Because you'll end up closer to the average investor than you might want because you want to at least achieve the benchmark, hopefully do better. And I'm going to give you an example, a clear-cut example of what we're faced with when we don't have a plan and why we make changes and we think we're doing it for the better and we're really not. Because if you're listening to the show, you're paying attention to your investments. Don't lie to me. You're looking at least once a quarter or at least once every six months, at worst once a year, and at times changes are made. Now, some of you aren't. Some of you may not have an investment policy statement. You never, ever make a change, but some of us are. We can't help it. Why? Because we are family stewards. We want to do what's best for our family. We want to reach independence, financial independence, as quickly as possible. So we think we need to make a couple of these changes without actually having a plan. So let's talk about that. First, let's talk about asset classes. So let's think for a little bit about what an asset class is. And when I think about an asset class, I think about these as major asset classes. The S&P 500, the largest 500 companies, that's an asset class. Large growth is an asset class. That's of those largest 500 or sometimes largest 1,000 companies in the United States. We separate them growth. And so we have a large growth fund and value. We have a large value fund. Those are both asset classes. Now, incidentally, the S&P 500 is tilted towards growth. So you're getting growth inside of the S&P 500. Other asset classes, small cap. After the largest thousand companies, we still have a few thousand more that are smaller companies. And within then, we can separate that as small growth, which is an asset class, and small value, which is an asset class. Three other major ones, real estate, international developed, and international emerging. Now, at Fortress Planning Group, we break up international or at least use a certain fund that has these tilts into some of these other asset classes. A lot of mutual fund companies don't do this. But for simplicity's sake, I'm just going to call it international. I'm not going to break that up in large value and small value, et cetera, because that would just be too many numbers of me throwing at you. So let's look at these asset classes and pretend for a moment it's fourth quarter 2020. And keep in mind, for the 10 years previous, the S&P 500 has been on a tear. It averages 10% per year, looking back 95 years. But the last 10 years, I don't even have the number in front of me, but averaged around 14 or 15% per year. Simply phenomenal. However, the decade before, the S&P 500 averaged negative 1% per year. But we all suffer from recency bias, so nobody remembers the decade between 2000 and 2010 where we averaged negative 1% per year. 
we remember what's happened recently, the great run of the S&P 500. And it had been on a tear, primarily because of companies like Facebook, Apple, Google, Amazon, Microsoft. And so a lot of us, and I see it when I'm evaluating portfolios, are tilting in that direction, tilting towards the S&P 500. And in the fourth quarter of 2020, the S&P finished up 12.15%. Not bad, except for large value did a lot better, 16.25. It had been lagging the S&P 500. Small had been lagging the S&P 500. Fourth quarter 2020 returned 31.27%. These are just the benchmarks. This isn't an actual fund that you can invest in, but the benchmark 3127 Small value, even better, 33.36%. Real estate, about 13%. International, about 16%. So in the fourth quarter of 2020, the S&P was one of the worst performers of these major asset classes. Oh, emerging, by the way, fourth quarter 2020 was up almost 20%. So here's you, and here's a lot of people, and here's a lot of mutual funds that have actually been tilting They're actively managed mutual funds into large and large growthy kind of stuff. They're like, hmm, I just really missed out on all of these asset classes, or at least because I've been concentrating on the S&P 500 or some sort of growthy combination. Wow. But maybe this is an anomaly. Maybe the fourth quarter was an anomaly and I need to stick with having a lot of my money in the S&P 500. Well, let's move on then to quarter one, 2021. First quarter, 2021, S&P did great again, 6.17%. However, it was the worst performing asset class. Large growth barely got 1%. Large value was up 11.26%. Small was up 12.7%. Small value up another 21.17%. Real estate was up 10%. And international was up 8.33%. So here we've gone now, six months. And let me tell you, we suffer from recency bias. So a good family steward who doesn't listen to the Best in Wealth podcast probably looked at that and said, hey, when I look at the last six months, the S&P 500 total return was 18.5%, which was nothing compared to the asset class small value returning 55%, small returning 44%, Large value returning 26, international 24, real estate 23, emerging 21. It has been the worst performing asset class, especially if we tilted more growth than the S&P 500 because that total return in six months was only 12%. Now, don't get me wrong, the 12, if we get 6% every quarter, great. But when we're looking and looking at the other funds in our 401k and we see all of this opportunity, we decide to what? Make changes. We decide to make changes because we can't take it anymore. Like, all right, I see 55% in small value. I'm there. I'm going there. I'm hitting these other asset classes. I've read all about diversification. I should get more diversified. Here we go, running into quarter two, 2021. And what's the best performing asset class? Well, not the S&P 500. It was real estate at 11.76%. However, S&P 500, second best, 8.55% with the large growth actually doing a little better than that. 
and things like small value cooled off. Still did great, up almost 5%. Small was up 4.5%. International up 5.65%. Emerging up 5%. Good, but S&P 500 did much better than most of these asset classes. But here we were, tilting and moving towards better returns from the past, not thinking about the future. So what do we do when we look at all of these returns and these asset classes? Some are doing better than others each quarter. We think we're doing our due diligence. We feel like we're doing the right thing, but we end up being closer to an average investor and not getting what we deserve out of the market. The research is out there, my friends. This is what happens. And when does it happen? When you don't have a plan. Make a plan today. Say to yourself, all right, I'm done. I'm finished trying to chase returns because that is just another form of timing the market. You don't think you're timing the market because you're not getting completely out of the market, but those shifts and those turns are causing a wreck inside of your portfolio. It's causing you to be an average investor, and we're family stewards. We're not average. So get a plan today. Get it on a piece of paper, nail it to your forehead, and don't ever forget. Do something like 20% in the S&P 500. 20% in large value, 10% in small, 10% in small value, 10% in real estate, 20% in international, developed, 10% in emerging, and then periodically rebalance. And don't chase returns because we don't know which company, which asset class, which sector, or which country is gonna hit big next. We wanna be prepared for all of it though, because if we're not prepared, we're gonna keep chasing. And we don't wanna chase that causes stress. Get an investment policy statement, and if you need help, reach out. Go to bestandwealth.com, schedule a 15 minute call from me. I would love to help you out. So are we ever, going to be a market timer again? Are we ever going to be an average investor? No way. Not us. I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye. The Best in Wealth podcast is hosted by Scott Wellens. Scott Wellens is the principal at Fortress Planning Group. Fortress Planning Group is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities Act of Wisconsin in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Fortress Planning Group does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Best in Wealth podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice.